Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Career Education Report. I am Jason Altmeyer, and today we are going to talk about accreditation. And we have a guest that can talk about that issue with more expertise than anyone else I know, and I think anyone else in the country, and that is Dr. Cynthia Jackson-Hammond. She is president of the Council for Higher Education Accreditation. The acronym is CHIA, and she has for more than 30 years held administrative positions across numerous colleges and universities in the United States, including having been a college president. And we are just so grateful for the work that she does, most importantly. But um, Dr. Jackson Hammond, thank you very much for being with us today on the show. Well, thank you so very much for having me. And I want to commend you for the correct pronunciation of accreditation. Too often people will say accreditation, and I want to just cringe a little bit. But thank you so very much for, for that acknowledgement. Glad to do it. Uh, I, I think a good place to start right from the beginning is CHIA is the National Association of Degree-Granting Colleges and Universities that recognize institutional and programmatic accrediting organizations. But you do much more than that. Uh, can you talk about what exactly is CHIA? What role does CHIA play in the higher education ecosystem and who makes up your membership? Absolutely. The Council for Higher Education Accreditation uh, was formed as a referendum from college presidents to make sure that their voices are heard as the authority for academic integrity and academic quality in institutions. CHIA supports institutions, and our membership reflects the institutions across the United States all kinds of institutions, public, private, research one, liberal arts schools, and what the purpose of, of our advocacy for these institutions is to protect the institutional autonomy and to support the accreditation process. The way we do that is through the recognition of accrediting organizations who go into these institutions either as institutional accreditors or program accreditors. We give validation and verification and through our rigorous standards that these accrediting organizations are sound, they are reputable, and they have the interests of the institutions at heart in providing a very clear basis to indicate that institutions are providing the kinds of quality experiences that students are seeking. And how is it different than the eligibility and recognition determinations that are made through the Department of Education? The Department of Education has a primary focus of providing recognition to accrediting organizations who must also assume the responsibility of validating whether or not an institution can handle the financial federal dollars that are allocated to that institution. Uh, dollars like Title IV funding, Pell Grant, student aid. So that is the primary purpose of the government's recognition. Chia's uh, difference is that we focus on academic quality and student success. 
And one of the key issues that I know you work on personally is cheer recognition is available to accrediting organizations only if a majority of institutions or programs the organization accredits grant degrees at the associate level or higher. So this means that a few accreditors that are recognized by the Secretary of Education, often responsible for hundreds, maybe thousands of institutions, they're not eligible for CHIA recognition because their institutions focus on sub-associate degree programs. Can you talk about why that criterion exists and are you thinking about modifying that in any way? Yes, that's, that's a very good question. As I said earlier, this was, CHIA was formed as a referendum from college presidents. And college presidents had its focus, as their focus, those degrees that were offered at the baccalaureate level or at the associate degree level. Over the years, we have seen that institutions are now changing their offerings. They are looking at certificates. They are looking at micro-credentials. They are looking at alternate ways of students being able to experience a collegiate academic portfolio. So career schools or career institutions are doing the same thing. Over the years, as things have changed, as the dynamics have changed, as the cry from the public and from corporate and from career agencies are saying, hey, what about us? We, too, are beginning to say, well, maybe we should think about expanding the opportunities for career schools to become CHIA-recognized. We are giving that some serious consideration. We hope to have some determinations about that in the very near future. That's good to hear. That's something that we hear about in our world here at CQ. It's important to some of our members, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you're thinking it through. I think what we have to remember is that years ago, there was always just this one traditional path to educational mobility and to employment opportunities. And with the onset of all these innovations and technologies and how quickly people can receive those kinds of experiences, career opportunities through career schools have advanced significantly. And we, we hear about the triad in higher education and, you know, talk about it extensively in all kinds of ways. And when something goes awry with a college or university, people often look first at the accreditors when they point fingers and cast blame, but they forget there's two other actors in that triad that oversee institutions. How do you see accreditors' role within the regulatory triad? And are there any improvements that you'd want to see regarding that type of shared accountability? When you're thinking about student success, there is a place for shared accountability on multiple levels. When accreditors go into an institution, they go with a set of standards of expectations of how institutions are to perform and provide evidence that they are actually doing what they say that they are going to do. And when there is a disconnect between the accreditors or the state or the institution, there is a process, a procedure, a protocol to refute 
those decisions to bring forth evidence that may have been missed. And I think that that's part of the benefit of having accreditors who go into an institution who are really basically peers. These are national peers, national experts who can see things from a variety of ways and with different lens. I think of the triad really as a very connected way of checks and balances. I do believe that as we continue to see education and the collegiate experience and just an experience for academic success, that that grows stronger and that it is a collaborative process rather than an either-or process. There's so much change occurring in higher education, and, and, and there's so much discussion about the role of accreditors. And I'm sure you're familiar, there was a book called Accreditation on the Edge. It was written by Susan Phillips, who's a past chair of Nasiki, and Kevin Kinzer, very prominent higher education scholar at Penn State. And they argue that we're moving towards a world where accreditors focus less on quality improvement and more towards simply focusing on compliance. And I was wondering what your thoughts are. Do you think accreditors are being asked to do too much outside the scope of the core quality assurance function? I do have a great deal of respect for those authors, but quality means something. Quality is not obsolete. And the academic experience is more than just whether or not a student can perform well on a particular test. It's what he or she can do, not only in that experience, but beyond the collegiate experience. So for us to think about moving just to the compliance or the regulatory checkbox analysis, I think is a misrepresentation of what accreditors do when they are working with institutions. If it were a matter of just compliance, then that negates the whole nature of growth, personal development, being able to execute what you have learned, putting into practice any theoretical constructs that you may have developed while you are in that collegiate experience. So academic quality is important. That means having the right kind of faculty, having the right kind of facilities, having the right kind of resources, being able to wrap around all of those things that are going to be necessary for a student to be successful. I would advocate that we need to always keep academic quality at the forefront over compliance. This was an issue that came up at your conference this year, and the, the organization that you lead at CHIA does host one of the premier conferences in all of higher education, and thankfully we're back to an in-person environment now, and I attended your conference in Washington recently and heard the viewpoint that was expressed that uh, pushed back on the notion that accreditors are often criticized for impeding innovation, and they're criticized because they move too slowly or prevent new learning structures. At least that's the argument that some have presented. That came up in discussion, and I was just wondering, why do you think institutions feel this way, and how do we bridge that knowledge gap between perception and reality? 
I want to first say that the encouragement of innovation is one of Chia's required standards for accreditors, which means that there is an intentionality that is re required by Chia for accreditors to support new processes. Now, what do we think about when we think about innovation? Sometimes we think it's just technology. But innovation can also be new experiences beyond technology. How you teach, how you learn, how you integrate service learning, how you have a different level of student learning outcomes that really reach into how students bring their life experiences into the classroom. So innovation is not just technology. It is all of those vast experiences that support the student learning processes. So we require that innovation be supported with institutions. I think we live in a society where everything is very, very fast. We get things very quickly. Uh, everything is at our fingertips. And we think that that happens in institutions like higher education. I can tell you that higher education, especially in the last five years, has gone through a tremendous amount of change, of introspection of what can we do to be better? How can we embrace continuous improvement? And unfortunately, the public does not see that transformative process taking place because it touches so many different aspects of higher education. So we have to be patient as a society. We have to believe that our institutions are institutions for the common good, for the success of students. And we have to be able to hold them accountable to show us some of those innovative processes. And I think you're seeing a trend where higher education and accrediting organizations are working together to make that happen. Maybe as a consequence of, of these last few issues that we're talking about or in response to the public debate about them, as you know, earlier this year, the Department of Education announced new rulemaking that will include accreditation and related issues. What, what do you think the department is aiming to achieve with the upcoming rulemaking? That's a really big question because the upcoming rulemaking has been around for a long time. And of course, the thought processes behind the Department of Education really changes a lot with the different administration that might be in place at the time. I'm thinking, and I can't speak for the Department of Education, but I'm glad to see that accreditation is at the forefront and that there is a respect for the process, that uh, accreditors will be held just as accountable as the institution, and that there is a need for all of these entities to work collaboratively and together to make sure that our students are getting the best opportunities that are available to them. Chia has announced an arbitration program, which I think is very innovative and, and interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? We have found over the years is that sometimes when an institution receives a unfavorable decision that may not have a body or an impartial group that can 
serve as an arbitrator if they wish to refute that decision. In the past, refuting a decision by an accrediting organization can be very costly, can be very, very time-consuming, be very laborious on the institution, and does not uplift the institution And because the morale is so marginalized by that time. Shia, he firmly believes in supporting institutions as well as recognized organizations serve as an arbitrator between those two principles. So with the arbitration, if there is an unfavorable decision and the institution wishes to have an impartial voice to speak to the accreditor, then she stands in that, in that, in that space. And we are trained arbitrators. We do not serve as the arbitrators, but we provide training for impartial arbitrators who come from all over the United States. And so they go in and they will look at the evidence. They will render a decision based on what their findings are, and that becomes a non-binding decision, which means that the institution can still go forth through the department to make another appeal for the decision if they so choose to do so. Yeah, it, it's really important that you are taking that on because you know, the institutions want to be able to have a say in resolving disputes and have their voice heard. So I, I commend you, and we at CQ commend you for taking on a controversial and difficult issue. So thank you for doing that. I wanted to close by asking about an issue that I know you are following very closely and, and Chia has been involved in the response. And I would say ground zero for the political debate around higher education is happening in the state of Florida. And as you well know, Governor DeSantis, among other things uh, he's done related to higher education, has signed a bill that requires state colleges and universities to seek reaffirmation from different accrediting organizations at the end of every review cycle. And I, I was just wondering, what, what is Chia's perspective on this? What are the implications of this bill? And most importantly, do you think this is something that we could see move into other states? This is very alarming for Chia. It's very alarming for those Florida institutions. And in many cases, it's very alarming for regional accrediting organizations. Never before have we seen state legislation encroach so aggressively on higher education. The thought of academic freedom, institutional autonomy is being trampled upon by some of these very aggressive legislative acts that are going on in Florida. I think it's going to be very problematic because the way the cycle runs before an institution can complete a cycle with one accrediting organization, it has to begin its approach for another accrediting organization. When that institution approaches another accrediting organization for consideration, it does not mean that the accrediting organization 
will accept that institution. There are really good reasons why an acceptance may not be there. It may be that the culture of the institution may not be in alignment with the particular accrediting organization that is seeking. It may be that it may be too cost prohibitive. And to be perfectly honest with you, when an accrediting organization has been with an institution for quite a while, it knows the culture of that institution. It knows the the mission of that institution. It knows the expected outcomes. It becomes a partnership, not a partnership where you overlook certain inconsistencies, but a partnership of trust that the relationship would be objective and would be unbiased. So for Florida to say every seven years, you have to go and look for another partner. Uh, It's kind of like a marriage. Every seven years, you go find another partner. That's very, very disconcerting. And just as we wrap up, I think an obvious question a listener might have is, well, what what is the other side of this? Why why did Florida consider this? And, and it's because of a couple of things that happened with their two flagship universities. At Florida State University, there was a presidential search. There was a high-level politician who was in the running and did not get the presidency. Uh, the, the accreditor was involved in pointing out that that individual may not be as qualified for that role as others who had applied for it. That irritated some in the political world in Florida. And then at the University of Florida, there were faculty who were called to be expert witnesses in a case that involved a very political hot button issue that would have been against the wishes of the leadership in the political environment in Florida. And the accreditor also got involved in, in that uh, when the university told those faculty that they were not allowed to serve in that capacity. And as a result, the state legislature and Governor DeSantis decided to make this change to put some pressure on the accreditors. And, and that's, that's why that played out. But as Dr. Jackson Hammond has mentioned, there are great concerns among accreditors and schools, universities, and colleges of of the impact that that would have. I am most concerned that this kind of encroachment would bleed into other states. And we're seeing some of that happen very aggressively in the last couple of months with Texas and Tennessee and other states that seem to not have a great deal of regard for institutional autonomy or for academic freedom, or a great deal of disregard for its faculty, its students, and the communities. Definitely an important issue to keep an eye on. I want to thank Dr. Cynthia Jackson Hammond. She is a longtime, very influential leader in higher education, currently the president of the Council for Higher Education Accreditation Dr. Jackson Hammond, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Career Education Report. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at career.org and follow us on Twitter at CQED. 
That's at C-E-C-U-E-D. Thank you for listening.